Welcome to Cube and Chaos. Spend some time with us, enjoying old cars and new, whether they are weak or powerful. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of Cube and Chaos. I'm Max. And I'm Jacob. We are here this week to talk to you a bit about uh, what's going on right now uh, on Arena in terms of Cube and things coming up in the future. Lots of Cube this time and also with um, a much more suitable recording time for Max, so it's not falling seat this time. <laughs> Instead, you are this time. Well, I might be. <laughs> Let's hope not. Right. So do you want to start by talking about... Uh, the Tinkerer's Cube? Yeah, so it's, uh, the Tinkerer's Cube is a cube that is currently online on um, MTG Arena. And I believe it's just since this weekend, so it should be available quite a bit longer. And the cube feels very... I, I didn't play it too much yet, but it states to be and also feels to be quite different than the last cube they had on Arena. And it's much less of a of a good stuff cube than last time. So they didn't just put all the most powerful spells available on the program into the cube, but um, designed a little bit more for synergy and archetypes. I mean, you still have a lot of the very powerful full cards there, but um, there's a like designated life gain deck that is um, ported much more than uh, in the in the previous Magic Online cube, uh, Magic Arena cube. And there's the self-mill archetype that I've seen. And um, the creative archetypes feel like they also have a little bit more built for synergy cards. And like green-white does something with plus one, plus one counters and so on. So I definitely um, say you should play that. It's um, also relatively cheap on Magic Arena. It's just 4,000 gold or uh, 600 gems. So yeah, you can gem quite a lot of it. I think it's probably still... Uh, a losing a losing game but um it's a very slow little game it's a lot of fun you're talking about ev yeah it's obviously you won't be making money with it. it's best of one sadly i wish that weren't the case i just love sideboarding in cube but um yeah we've talked about that before yeah i think sideboarding is a big part of cube but it sounds like um despite not having best of three they're still taking some steps to try to create depth in the format which is i mean that's pretty cool not something that i necessarily expected to see on arena yeah the the card that's done the most for me so far was um command the dreadhorde the the sorcery that uh, reanimates any number of creatures and all plants workers in in all graveyards that has been great for me it's a i think it's a very good card i don't know my first impression yeah that's a sweet one feels like it narrowly misses out on being playable in the magic online cubes and i mean it was solid if i remember correctly back in war of the spark but yeah, it sounds like this is a pretty nice home for that card. Yeah, so then also on Magic Online, we will be getting some new cube formats again, or one new one at least. So they're bringing back the cube spotlights on the 9th of September. And probably uh, sometime in the next couple of days here, I imagine they'll be giving us an announcement about uh, what the actual format's going to look like, who designed it, and so forth. Even better, they at least said that they will be um, releasing an in-depth article by the designer which I can't wait for. I really hope they do it this time. Yeah, that'd be it, sweet. That didn't happen with Amaz's Cube, but um, it should happen this time. So I'm really looking forward. Right, yeah. Amaz's Cube, I think that was the main one where 
we didn't have an article, but we wanted one. And it was also, I think, it was probably my uh, favorite cube spotlight, um, at least that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, we're just suckers for peasant bread. <laughs> yeah, but it was an especially good peasant cube with that. I it think. was very good. Um, let's see. Yeah, so coming up after that uh, is Modern Cube. So Modern Cube, um, I mean, you have Vintage Cube on Magic Online, of course, the strongest uh, kind of cube you can play. And then step down from that, you take out the Power 9 and a lot of the very, very strong cards in that cube, and you end up with Legacy Cube. And then, I mean, based on how power level has been going in recent years, uh, you still have a lot of very, very strong cards in Modern Cube, but it just doesn't really play the same way as the other two cubes, in my opinion. Um, I know that in the past, uh, it used to feel very, very grindy. There were a lot of Planeswalkers running around, but I think recently they uh, have taken out some of those Planeswalkers. They've tried to make games a little bit more reasonable and easier to manage. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to see what they have for us this time. Uh, Me too. This will however play into the to the time where they already have release events for uh, Zendikar what is it, Zendikar Rising and yeah so we will have to evaluate what we want to do more play with the new cards or uh, play with the cube both are so so juicy <laughs> right it's kind of a weird choice in my opinion to overlap those two events um oh wait <laughs> I just realized we haven't uh Made any plans to talk about Supreme Draft, which is like potentially the most important thing to be talking about right now. Um, well, then let's do it right now. Supreme Draft, sure. it's right. suddenly dropped upon us. And I'll take that ahead of time. I don't like the, the name of it, but it certainly is interesting. I don't feel like it's Supreme in any way, shape or form, but it's different. That's definitely true. Um, do you know anything about a draft format called Decadent? No. How did that work? Uh, so I called it a draft format, but I believe uh, they're sealed as well. And so the idea behind the Decadent format is that you have a pack of cards, you take one card out of the pack if you're drafting, and then the pack is discarded. So this is something that I found out about pretty recently, and it made me kind of question um, whether uh, Supreme Draft met the expectations that I had for it. Because one of the promises that Supreme Draft made is it was something that uh, Wizards had never done before. Um, you know, it was mysterious, it was exciting, and technically it is different, right? Because with Supreme Draft, you have the two picks per pack, um, but it is very, very similar to the decadent format, which is something that uh, has actually existed for a really long time. And uh, even now, if you went onto like draft.info, um, you went to create a room. One of the types of drafts you could create is a decadent draft. So yeah. um, I was a little surprised to say the least that the Supreme draft format uh, was actually something that already existed apart from the two picks per pack rule. How In decadent, how many packs do they draft? Uh, I believe it's the same number of picks total. So instead of 18 packs and 36 picks, I think it's just 36 packs and picks. So it's just a full display. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, the other thing I will say, the other like main, uh, criticism I have of Supreme Draft is it feels like, um, you are almost drafting a cube in the sense that every single pick is going to be a really high power level. Unlike a cube, there's no signal reading to be done. Uh, if you end up in a certain archetype, it's pretty much either because you're forcing or because you just took the most powerful card in every pack and ended up in some three plus color control deck or just masterpiece, (laughs) kind of depending on what you like to draft. So 
I think that a lot of players who like drafting really like being able to read signals, yeah. um, which is, yeah, I mean, that's not, again, a strike against the Supreme Draft format so much as it is against just decadent. Um, but I personally found that the decks that uh, are the highest number of colors uh, always seem to be able to perform very strongly because with In Rafticon. Right. Um, but same with um, Modern Horizons, because yeah, you're just able to make the five-color snow deck or four-color or whatever work so easily, because you have so many picks that you can devote to snowlands, and unlike the original format, you're not competing with anyone for a snow forest. There's no reading, you know, whether snow is open or whether, like, five-color control and Ravnica is open. You can just take all the strong kind of payoffs for being this controlling multicolored deck um and yeah just pick the fixing very highly no one's competing with you for it except for you know rng i guess um yeah so what i feel like what it, it comes down to is that uh, if the format is super well balanced then you can draft whatever you feel like you can decide before the draft i will draft this and then just try to make it happen um staying open is not really a thing like for maybe one or two picks you will try to stay open if the pack is not strong but i've seen so many people who either just say okay that's one more round of snow and another round of snow or a lot of people are also just doing ninjas right which seems like it's also very strong and maybe interacts like favorably with with the snow deck yeah i've heard some people go so far as to calculate the odds of opening up a uh, particular rare and then saying oh well with uh, x percent chance that i open fallen shinobi if i just force blue black ninjas and i mean i might get one of the best cards in the format so you know that's yeah. a pretty decent incentive to do so um, so i would say that it is interesting but gets stale very very quickly and it has the same problem that bots draft have on magic arena and that is that it's not self-correcting at all like if people come to the conclusion that you should only draft blue black ninjas then you will play the blue black ninjas uh mirror match three times in a row and right that's that i don't know that the format is like broken from the start like i don't know yeah i really like the comparison to the mtga bot draft because there's another way uh that i feel it's very similar and that is i find it kind of difficult if i'm doing a draft sim or if i'm doing a bot draft on magic arena um or if I'm doing a Supreme Draft, I find it difficult actually to care about the picks because it feels oh, like, yeah. yeah, it feels like you're not waiting ever, which means you can just go through as quickly as you want without thinking about things. Um, it feels like, uh, unlike Magic Online, uh, sometimes on something like Arena or just on a draft sim, it feels like there are no other people involved. Sometimes there are you know, no costs to enter these things. And that means that just feels like the stakes are so much lower. Of course, there is a cost to entering Supreme Draft on Magic Online, but I just find it difficult to care about what I'm doing and take my time with it um, when there's really nothing forcing you to do that. It feels sure. But what do you think about it as a tool for two friends test deck? That's a really interesting idea. Um, I think I would still rather have cards slowly uh, leave the packs as people draft, but... I think that that makes a lot more sense. I think that you're able to 
kind of see what the maximum power of a certain archetype is if you're doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think that the makes power sense. level will be a little bit higher than if you draft it naturally, right. but not by an incredible amount. And I think it could be like a very nice go-to tool if you have like one friend and want to playtest your cube and you can say, okay, let's uh, do this again. I'm drafting blue-green proliferate and you are drafting black-green um, aristocrats. And then we go at it and then we can playtest this matchup. Right. And see how the cards interact. And uh, I feel like maybe maybe the 36 packs is a little bit low because in this way you will never have uh, a real sideboard. But, well, I mean, if people are testing for big tournaments, they often are also testing a lot of pre-board games. Maybe that's a nice tool in a cube designer's arsenal now. As the person who uh, made a cube where there were 12 card packs, I have to say 36 is a number I'm a fan of. But uh, <laughs> yeah, on a more serious note, yeah, I think you run into some problems where either you don't have enough picks to really pivot from one deck to another, or if you're just forcing something from the beginning. And again, there's not really any reason not to force. There's no deterrent from doing that. Uh, then you're going to end up with more than enough playables. So it's kind of in this weird spot where the number is wrong no matter which way you look at it. Well, if you're also taking fixing, then often you don't have a lot of leftover cards. That's true. But yeah, I think it is interesting, but I'm not in love with playing a lot of it on, on Magic Online. But I will keep it in mind, and I, I think I will use it for playtest show. Yeah, and going off of that testing, um, in terms of experimentation, I love this. I love that Wizards is opening up these crazy ideas to the Magic Online community. Uh, first, we saw like two first picks in Double Masters. Uh, now we're just seeing, like, I mean, this is kind of completely off the rails compared to that. I'm not sure whether I would necessarily call it a success, but I feel like the entire point of experimentation is trying something for the sake of seeing how it ends up. And I'm really excited to see that they're broadening their horizons, I guess, in terms of uh, the kinds of experiences that players are going to be able to have. Again, of course, this is coming from the person who thought it would be a good idea to get rid of uh, green from a cube and reduce pack size to 12. But uh, I just think that experimentation... Just, just new things. If something's right. new, it's exciting, at least for a while. And it's lovely that they, they give this opportunity and uh, they have the sets lying around and just from time to time saying, oh, let's have a week of Supreme Draft of this and that format that we haven't played for a while is like it's a nice change of pace from that time right. great okay so one of the things that we very briefly alluded to earlier when we were talking about modern cube was zendikar rising um so yeah. we're in the thick of spoiler season here i believe we are about halfway through um, and we're seeing these really kind of scary uh cards i've heard some people speculate that the ones at higher rarities are insanely broken and they're going to warp constructed formats um, a la companions, but I'm not totally sure that I buy that. And obviously I'm not really a constructed specialist. So uh, yeah, we get to talk about those kind of modal cards in terms of things like cube. I don't think they will be problematic in that sense. Well, you decide if they should be or not, right? If you're cube. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no, no worries of a ban list when you're the one creating the format. Yeah. Um, so what we are talking about um, is 
Uh, we're seeing cards that are double-faced, but unlike previous double-faced cards, these are not transform cards. Um, or they are cards that you can either play as a spell um, or you can play as a land. And I think all the lands enter tapped, and I think that the mythic ones allow you to pay three life, enter untapped, something like that. Yep. Um, but there are also rare lands uh, that, yeah, it's basically, I think it's like an untapped evolving wilds kind of thing where you can either get one like you can either say get a land that produces white mana or on the other side you get a land that produces blue um yeah basically like it's a prefetched fetch land fetch land without shuffling if you want like no double land drops no shuffling um but i think it's much more in the spirit of when when the fetch lands were originally created right and there were no well i mean i guess you still had like the original duels that you could get with those but for sure but when when they designed them for the standard at the time the idea was you have a land and you decide for either color and then you have that for the land uh, for the rest of the game and this new design of having one side is a red land that comes into play untapped the other one is a white land that comes into play untapped is just a very clean execution of that original idea yeah I agree with that. I really like the flexibility it offers. Um, I like the reducing shuffling. I'm not sure exactly how relevant that will be in the near future, as almost all of us are playing online at this point. Um, but I think that it's, I mean, I'm not even sure it will see standard play, but I think it's a cool, cool idea, to say the least. I mean, it'll probably see standard play, right? Yeah, I mean, for, for aggressive decks, I think they are kind of decent. Untapped fixing is something they so rarely get. Um, yeah. So in terms of the, like, uncommon ones, I don't think we've seen any at common, which is probably a good thing. I think that would be kind of terrifying. Um, but at uncommon, we have, those are the ones where it's either a spell or a tapped land. And I believe you likened those to basic land cycling. Do you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, so we had basic land cyclists available for a long time and many different formats. And I think they are they will play out relatively similarly. The basic land cycling, for example, from Onslaught, they had like forest cycling. It was um, like a five and a green for a four five. It's also in the most recent master set. It taps for three green mana, so it's just a big creature that ramps you further, but it can also be forest cycled for two generic mana. And it means this is already like kind of a modal land and spell card. Um, it's a little bit different. It does not come into play untapped, but you need to pay mana ahead of time. So if you are planning to fetch the land and play the land in the same turn, then it's basically a land that comes into play tapped and costs you another mana. Feels a little bit like that. But you can also have the flexibility of doing it at the end of their turn. And yeah. But I think they are similar in power level from my feel. What do you feel think? Like if you had I'm... the same card with either uh, two generic forest cycling or it has a flip side that is a land that produces green and comes to play tap. Um, I'd be inclined to think that just coming into play as a land is more powerful um, outside of formats, of course, where you'd be able to find lands with multiple types with that forest cycling or whatever. Um, but I do think that in terms of raw power level of the card design, I think the original cycle of the basic land cyclers are stronger cards uh, for a couple of reasons. So one of the things that I've noticed, um, this is just... I think this is just a pretty consistent uh, and good design idea that you see with things like Kicker, where it's like um, the expensive uh, mode is overcosted by one mana. Um, a lot of the original 
basic land cyclers uh, nowadays, I would say, are overcosted by one mana. Like you have a 3 4 flyer, 4 5, uh, 4 4 with uh, fire breathing, a 3 6 vigilance, right? <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And then there's Twisted Avon, which is insane, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, let's not talk about that one. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays, all those cards would be reasonable ish at five mana, but back in the day at six, um like i don't i think that six mana would have been fine back then like i uh things were just a bit worse especially creatures yeah um but the the main thing that i wanted to say though is i found that most of the um flip cards now are pretty conditional so they're usually over costed by one um they are also they are they require you to have a pretty specific uh, scenario. So, for instance, one of them is a fling effect, uh, which uh, you know, fury, right? Um, that card, yeah. If you have a creature that you want to sacrifice to deal damage to something, then it's great. How often do you really want to yourself in that two for one kind of situation? Not always. I mean, it's great in response to removal. It's great if you can end a game with it. But other than that, uh, I mean, this like fling is not a card you always want to put in your limited deck. So. Yeah. I think um I think that these are kind of inherently safer than a lot of the uh like basic land cyclers, which were just beefy creatures that would always be good, I think. Yeah, so what I want to say about that is I feel like this new cycle, I think it's the cycle of uncommons and then the cycle of rares. Um at least for the uncommon, I have the feeling that they will be much more interesting from the gameplay perspective because they are so narrow. Um whereas with the land cyclers, it was almost always do I need like to draw it oily and need the land then it's no-brainer cycling to get a land and if you draw it late then it's a no-brainer uh to just play the fat creature because you have the mana already and what do you want to draw a fat creature so that feels very powerful and these new uncommons uh like if you draw them in the middle of the game where you maybe need another land or maybe need this effect i think it will have a lot more decision to it than these land cyclists they were very clear cut in my opinion yeah i agree with that in a strong way and i also think that um, in addition to having kind of a greater decision point, I think that there's more room in between um, where each mode shines, right? So with those original basic land cyclers, you either had a card that gets you a land, which was a totally solid card, or you either had, or you had a beefy creature, which was a totally solid card. But here you either have a land, which again is totally solid, or you have this card that is sometimes good. And even if you have the lands to support it, it's not always going to be good which then um, starts to make the card a lot more interesting, in my opinion, because it becomes tougher to evaluate exactly how often are you going to want um, kind of a mediocre spell, but a, uh, you know, a card that can help out your consistency in terms of being both a land or a spell versus just a very good spell. I think that kind of decision yeah. is going to be really tough to make because I don't think we're used to making it. Um, yeah, I think it'll be very good. And the gameplay also will be interesting, additionally because of uh, landfall. Because right. playing the land might also give you a spell-like effect. Then you have a whole other decision to make. It's dangerous. It uh, changes with the board state completely. So I'm really looking forward to playing with these. And I think they will be appearing in cubes probably. I think that um, 
I remember correctly, uh, Usman um, was one of the people who spoiled uh, one of these flip lands. And yeah, he's a big uh, cube designer and just aficionado in general. So I think the yeah. fact that it was given to him to spoil <laughs> kind of shows that Wizards is expecting oh, yeah. that. Right. Yeah, he, he uh, spoiled both the Kazoo's Fury as well as the Kabira Takedown, which for one and a white and deals damage and the number of creatures you control to target your player. Those two, I think, are my favorite of the uh, flip ones so far for my Peasant Cube because uh, the Black Red deck cares about sacrificing things, so a fling effect fits right in there. And the Kabira Takedown uh, is really nice in my white-green kind of go-wide archetype, but also the white-black uh, kind of aristocrats archetype too. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it's also nice to see white having a damage-based removal effect that doesn't require the creature to be in combat. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also noticed that. It's, it's, it's nice. Very nice. So, uh, Wizards recently gave us a bunch of information about uh, what 2021 is going to look like, and I think this is pretty rare. Every now and then, they'll let us see a bit farther into the future than normal, but I mean, we have a pretty good idea of how the entire year is going to look in terms of releases, and I personally really like that. Uh, we get to see where everything is going, and speaking of, um, I mean, Modern Horizons 2 is coming. Is it a coincidence that right now the Supreme Draft format is Modern Horizons? No, I don't think so. Kind of reminds me of um, how right as Pioneer was uh, getting announced, then we realized that the Chaos Draft format that we were playing all along was Pioneer Chaos, which is kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, but there are two main things that I want to talk about, which um, I think you know, are going to be pretty interesting, uh, given that the words paper only were used to describe each product. Um, so you have above that line there, you have all the regular sets, if you will, um, not to mention, you know, Innistrad being kind of cleaved into there, not something that uh, we're used to seeing, but I'm sure things will make a little more sense there as we get closer to it. But below that line are the formats that um, the words paper only have been used to describe. And right now, I'm not totally sure that it's the best idea to release a paper only set. Like, I'm not sure how many people will realistically be playing with it, but uh, more relevant to me in particular, uh, as someone who plays Magic Online pretty frequently, is whether the term paper only uh, includes or excludes Magic Online. Um, so obviously, from the like, term itself, it sounds like it would exclude Magic Online. But Modern Horizons in particular has been described as paper only product, Modern Horizons 2. And I cannot foresee a world where Wizards would not release Modern Horizons 2 on Magic Online. Um, in the past, they, um, in terms of sets that they've released, like relatively recent sets, uh, the ones they haven't put on Magic Online have been the unsets uh, and then the kind of wonky draft sets like Conspiracy. Um, and I actually, I heard that Time Spiral Remastered would be coming to Magic Online. Um, yeah, that's not, confirmed. Right. Like, given where I am. Okay, that's good. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the one that I'm most excited about out of maybe this entire calendar. Um, not only the idea of having some sweet new artwork and maybe some sweet old borders on some of these cards, but also the idea of um, one of the best draft formats ever being like rehashed. The idea that maybe they take Sprout Swarm out entirely, or maybe they upshift it to something like Rare. Um, I think that... I'd this prefer it completely gone, personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wouldn't, right? No one likes that card. Um, I, I just think that, you know, for those of us on Magic Online who have been missing those 
flashbacks to these older draft sets. Um, and, you know, I've been recently happy with the cube spotlights as well, but, you know, would still appreciate those flashback events. I think Time Spiraled Remastered is going to be uh, a gift. I think it should be a lot of fun to play. And yeah, we are pretty sure that it is coming to Magic Online. Yeah, um, I can't wait. Time Spiral was the first set that I draft a lot or the whole block. And yeah, it will really strike a note, pretty sure. But I also already know that I will be disappointed of some of my favorite cards not being there, even if it's for good reasons. But <laughs> I mean, I, I love some of them, even though I shouldn't. I want to know what these cards are. Well, for example, the, the what is it, Cyclops that kills itself when you play it, Cry 1, Dude, 3-3. Yeah. Puget Cyclops, yeah. I never played it, but I just love seeing it because it just never works. And think oh, maybe I'd have to run it, then you don't. And then when your opponent plays it and it kills itself, I don't know. It's kind of funny, but it's just a terrible card and a terrible design that throws people into doing stupid things. So I'm pretty sure it will not be there, but I will be missing it. <laughs> it is a funny card. I remember trying to play that card uh, back when I was new to drafting and card evaluation. And you know, I was thinking, wow, three mana, three, three, not bad. Three mana scry one, specifically probably to the bottom. Uh, it's a bit worse. Um, I think I I think I played it at least two times. I, I didn't. I, somebody in my LGS at that time told me to never run that card, don't touch it. I'm very yeah. grateful, but I kind of forgot who it was. But I didn't <laughs> figure it out by myself. Somebody had to help me out. Yeah, it reminds me of like a kind of a riddle of lightning, but it's just so much more hit or miss. I mean, there's a, like a, a real cycle of this type of effect, and yeah, Go that general. one is just the few bad one. Yeah, that's true. Um, anything else to talk about? Uh, maybe we could touch on like the D and D theme and how we expect to see features of particular types show up. Um, I mean, that I, I already guess. happened uh, in uh, Zendika Rising, right? With yeah, the D &D I mean, party thing. Right. So, wanted to prepare for the Dungeons and Dragons set. We've seen this theme of what is it? It's rogues, clerics, wizards, and warriors, if I remember correctly. Yep, um, that's correct. Yeah. And then we have Kaldheim coming up, which is the Viking set. So I'm not sure whether Vikings will be a subtype, uh, but I'm pretty confident that we'll be seeing a lot of warriors in that set. Yeah. And we also have Strixhaven, which. I mean, School of Mages, it's funny because I was just thinking about building uh, kind of like a Harry Potter style cube and decided that there weren't enough pieces for it. And it seems like Wizards has once again decided to kind of grant me the solution to my problems. Uh, I will see a ton of Wizards here. Um, not so sure about the Rogues or Clerics. I think maybe that means that we'll be seeing this last week a lot of those two show up um, in Zendikar Rising. Maybe some Rogues in Strixhaven as well. Maybe, um, but I could imagine that um, this party thing that they are having in Zendikar Rising is more of a inset for limited thing. And then the better, better warriors and the better wizards will be then slotting later on in standard decks while not be played in standard up until those sets. I could see them exactly that. The rogues right. would fall off. Yeah. Um, I guess going off of that, uh, one of the themes that I'm pretty excited about is instant slash sorcery slash wizard, uh, which we saw a little bit back in Dominaria. So this was, I mean, you had the blue-red wizard deck, which of course cares all about spells. Uh, you had like Adelies as maybe the strongest card in the entire archetype. And now with Zendikar Rising, we're seeing a few cards that care about instants or sorceries or wizards. Um, so again, for my peasant cube in particular, I'm really excited because 
I already have a blue-red uh, like instant or sorcery archetype. So adding kind of a wizard like sub theme there, I think will be uh, pretty easy. I think it'll happen pretty naturally. Um, and another thing would be like the red-green archetype with like power four or greater. I think warriors um, should fit in pretty well. Right now, there aren't a lot of cards that care about warriors in Zendikar Rising. I think there is like one that I remember, or no, there are at least two or three. Um, yeah, I think, might be in, yeah, there. that's true. Uh, but regardless, I think by the time we get to Cal time, we'll probably be seeing um, even more warrior uh, like enablers and payoffs. So I'm pretty excited about the the direction they're going here. It seems like this 2021 is basically the year of subtypes. If I had to sum it up, yeah, it might and they might keep it at minor uh, like tribal support. I don't think we will be seeing a second law win, but the minor is just enough for cube building anyway, right? Right. I was gonna say uh and yeah i think that the minor themes are perfect for cube at the same time like are we going to see another lore win they have two sets with i mean these are not um these are tentative names but they have subtypes in the names of those sets the innistrad sets so i mean i'm excited to see what happens but i also do not understand how you would turn werewolves into you know uh, something that would support blue or black or white. Um, so I, I haven't seen this. Um, this and now where this announcement came from for the for the schedule. Um, I don't even know why they are two different sets and what that is supposed to mean towards the end. But that's so far away. Like it's more than a more than a year away. So I'm yeah. on the wait and see for now. I think that makes sense. I, if I remember correctly, they said they had so much stuff they wanted to put into that set that they decided that one set wasn't enough. Um, but it's also an interesting question for like how that'll be drafted on Magic Online and Arena if they come out at the same time. Um, yeah, they probably have some great ideas. Fresh, I'm, I trust right. them to do that well. I think so too. But yeah, a lot of looking forward into the future here. I started off looking forward under a week and ended up looking forward more than a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Cube building your own again. So I was, um, while hearing other people talk about their cubes, looking at cube lists, also because of the Tinkerer's Cube, I looked at the cube list and I was thinking about um, what makes cubes feel like goods. It's often um, tossed around like as a black and white thing, like either this is a good stuff cube or um, some people say this is a synergy cube or a streamlined cube or like something that is not a good stuff cube. And I was, obviously it's a sliding scale, right? You mean it's not just an Orzov thing, not a black or white? Yeah, exactly. It's not not just an Orzov. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think it is a sliding scale. And the question is then, can you, can you identify what makes a cube into a good stuff? And I thought about a bunch of different things that go into that. And the first one I thought of is just the number of fixing available. So that's something that you play a lot with in your peasant cube in the um, the limited as Garfield intended cube um, where you restrict the fixing a lot. So maybe you can give a short reasoning for that again. Yeah, so my cube, I originally was thinking that I wanted to have mainly streamlined two-color archetypes. And then I thought more and more about it. And I realized that I wanted cards to serve very specific roles, which meant fitting into particular archetypes, which meant like an increase in synergy. Um, and yeah, that meant even more emphasis on uh, just playing two colors. Like it's definitely reasonable and I wanted it to be reasonable to splash something. So like, say for instance, 
you're in the black red um, sacrifice archetype. Uh, but there's also like a hidden stockpile that you see and you think, man, this card is amazing uh, in the kind of deck that I'm drafting. Like, yes, it's a two mana card, but it's still something worth splashing. So I wanted um, very specific roles to be filled and I wanted two color decks to be pretty much where you're supposed to end up the majority of the time, which meant that I didn't think fixing was as important. And I actually took out every um, like colorless non-land card as well. Mm -hmm. So what, what happened is now you have 10 dual lands in 420 cards and then a little bit of thing in green, right? Yeah, uh, green is the color with the most fixing. Um, I'm looking for other ways to add fixing if it feels necessary. Like for instance, um, the uh, rare lands from Zendikar Rising were printed at Uncommon. They would probably all make my cube um, as is I'm happy to just get some more kind of utility lands in there uh, from that set. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the fixing was one thing that I looked. I have seen people also when cube spotlights were online, people complain that there's no fixing or yeah, I don't know. So that's one thing. But they were, for example, I, I heard people complain about Amaz's cube that it didn't have enough fixing. But I also heard other people say, "Oh, it's uh, just a, a good stuff." So. That means that I mean the number of fixing is not the only thing that says if this is a this is a, a good stuff cube or not. And I'm not not want I don't want to judge Amaz's cube here, but obviously there seems to be more of it. And <clears throat> then I was thinking uh, maybe it's just the number of designated archetypes because that's also something that you can see that in um, in your cube in the luggy cube um, you have like 10 color pairs and all of them have something to do and um, there are different cards for this type of archetype building so you can have cards that slot nicely into multiple archetypes but you can also have cards that really just go into one archetype and as one of the example cards that i thought of uh, one of the type of cards were multicolor cards since they are the signposts they normally try to show off what this two color pair is doing and almost all of the time they only fit exactly into this so i thought mm, maybe the number of different um, different multicolor cards is something that goes uh, against the the fixing, or does it go forward? So yeah, I don't know. It's a bit bit hard to say. Is it the number of archetypes that ca that cancels out the the number of fixing? Would you would you say that's a thing? It's a good question. Um, so you're saying like more archetypes you have, the more fixing you would need to maintain that ratio. Is that the idea? Um, no, I would say that both the number of archetypes that are supported as well as uh, like that, that goes against the number of, of fixing in terms of good stuff. So if you go up in fixing, especially like fixing that anybody can take, um, you go up in the good stuff uh, value because everybody you're can saying, splash everything, right? You're saying if you go down in archetypes, then you're also going up in good stuff? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm not sure right. if this is true, though. Um, I think it probably is. Um, right now, there's a format uh, called Venkman that I'm working on building my first kind of deck in. And yeah, there are virtually no archetypes, and it's just about purely a good stuff environment. So I think that what you're saying uh, makes a lot of sense. But um, then I also thought that there is a restriction coming from how the games play out. Um, because if there's if agro is very prevalent, then 
that punishes people going for for good stuff and that is something that we saw with the Kalte cube which i felt was not a good stuff cube at all because and there it was because agro was so prevalent there's a lot of fixing there and um yeah agro just keeps the good stuff in check and not only that not only in the gameplay but also in the number of cards designated for that archetype so then i was thinking maybe you would have something um like the number of agro archetypes among archetypes you have agro percentage or whatever cancel out the the good stuffiness yeah i think that makes sense too so yeah there you have already like quite a few different levels that you can play on as a cube designer if you think that your cube is too dirtily for your taste or maybe not dirtily enough because i know many people just enjoy doing that there you grind and flashing everywhere and um and i think it's also nice to from time to time get a change of pace so with our small community to which you should really uh you should really join us on our discord and and draft our cubes with us when we every time we play a different cube it's exciting again like it's a different format and you need to adapt to the format or i guess if you want to win you should you can always try to draft the weird dirt lead deck or always try to draft aggro but it won't always go well and i like the change of pace but right. you need to know where your cube should be right yeah uh it feels like every time uh we draft in our discord there's a big learning experience but i also think that uh just as designers we do need to know where our cubes should be uh like for instance i think building a cube with the idea of yes this is a good stuff cube or no this is not a good stuff cube i think that informs a lot of the design choices you make yeah and sometimes you start with um some ideas and then it drifts into one direction and then you need to think to yourself do you want to embrace that or do you want to stop here and develop it to another direction but again again want to say that there's definitely a room for both and um yeah it's just it's and the thing that i'm working on right now is i really hope that i will be able to find um a way to put a number on this like uh, a good stuff coefficient I, I i called it in my first notes but i'm not happy with anything yet but these things we talked about they will be appearing somewhere in there but sometimes it's very hard to quantify it i look forward to seeing what you come up with in terms of being able to uh operationalize it yeah and I mean, it, it will be helpful for you while you are designing your cube, but it might also be interesting for the people who draft the cube. If they know like this is a uh, a 10 on a, out of 10 maximum dirty ranking, then um, they know what they're in for. Like, do they even want to draft this format or how should they think about the first pack? Yeah, in addition to that, I think it would be nice to see that kind of thing um, on, I mean, I don't think this will necessarily happen, but if Wizards did that kind of thing, like for instance, they put on Supreme Draft, like this is probably about as dirty a format as you will play like i mean it would be nice to have that expectation going in yeah it would be. and i'm i mean uh, different um different um the values that people put onto their to their cubes like uh i heard a bunch of talk about power level um classification of your cube which um comes up most of between cube designers when they want to um, recommend cards to one another but i think it's less useful for the player because when you open your first first pick pack you would take the powerful most powerful card in there probably right so and you don't need to know if that is the only a medium power level card compared to the whole cube or not you would probably take the most powerful card right right yeah i, I think that's probably correct um so with that do you want to move on to signature spellbooks or oh yeah so maybe you want to explain it first uh, you sure. uh yeah so with signature spellbooks uh this is something that i saw from jim davis i don't think it was originally his idea though i'm not sure 
whose it was, so I can't credit them very easily. Uh, but pretty much the idea is try to come up with a small set of cards as if you were the planeswalker uh, for the signature spellbook. Cards that Wait, are. I am not the planeswalker. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, I want you to find out this way, but unfortunately, no. We're all real people, and we have to live responsible lives. <laughs> okay, uh, so but if I were a planeswalker, I would come up with spells. Exactly. If you were a planeswalker, um, then yeah, you come up with the spells that are most significant to you, the cards that distinguish you from other players, uh, the ones you're sentimental about. Uh, yeah, you try to totalize yourself with magic cards. Okay, so you made me think about this, which was a lot of fun. And I probably forgot a lot of things and uh, might change my spellbook around, but I have right now. Well, I already cheated. I'm having a land in here. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's called a spellbook and I have a land. I mean, nowadays, spells can be lands. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's true. <laughs> This one is not, though. Uh, I don't know if it's the best one to start with, but um, I have Terramorphic Expanse on, in my, in my spellbook. Um, I just like the effect. I mean, the shuffling is a little bit annoying, but if you play digital, it doesn't come up. It does not have the big, um, yeah, I would almost call it political debate of reprinting or not reprinting <laughs> that other fetch lands have. And I just like the power level more of this card. Um, it's just a land, comes to play, tap it second, and search your library for a basic land, put that into play tapped. And it's been out for a long time, has been reprinted a bunch of times. Um, I mean, there's also Evolving Wilds, which is the newer version of that. But um, yeah, Terramorphic Expanse being from Time Spiral, my original heavy draft set um, made me choose it here. Yeah, I mean, I think that says a lot about you as a player, just already, Terramorphic Expanse, like, why not Evolving Wilds? Well, you know, there must be some emphasis on some older set, and yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's like a limited stable, like, nobody, or basically nobody ever played that Instructed. Um, I am a limited player at heart, for sure. Right. And it even shows up in relatively um, powerful formats, uh, cube draft formats, or in master sets. And uh, it's not a card that people completely despise. Like, it gets taken. At what point, depends on the power level, but people play it and it can be nice and it can even have a lot of synergy, like all Fetchlands can. So I love it. And, yeah. well, then I the card I maybe should have talked about first. <laughs> I mean, I named myself after this card. Um, less so because it ever got cast anywhere. It's uh, Ishi Ishi Aki Aki Crackshot. Um, it's a weird one from Kamigawa. It's a one in the red for a 1-1 goblin. Um, I think I should know if it has a, another creature type. Maybe it's a warrior. And it's a rare, and it punishes people for playing their um, their spirits or arcane spells. Every time somebody, an opponent, plays in spirit, a spirit or arcane spell, it deals two damage to that player. Yeah, it's a warrior. I was right about that. But right. I fell in love with the card because of the Christopher Rush artwork and also the flavor text. Um, yeah. Do I read it? I, I will read it, yeah. The flavor text is, uh, Here fell Ishi Ishi, king of the flaming pebbles, scourge of the mountain kami, lover of goats. May his shell never burn. Cave inscription. And it's, I love this flavor text. It's a whole story wrapped in a few short sentences. Or, like, yeah, two sentences. It, uh, it starts strong, then it's funny, and then it's sad. I don't know. I think it's one of the best flavor texts of all time. Yeah, it's really a whole roller coaster in just a couple sentences. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like an asymmetrical, like pyrostatic pillar or uh, idolin of whatever it is. <laughs> um, whenever a player plays a spell from Kamigawa. And I didn't know that uh, this was your namesake. Huh. That's a, a fun detail. Yeah, it is. Um, so 
I was playing a little bit kitchen table magic when when um, original Kamigawa was out. I started by buying my first boosters from Fifth Dawn, and then after that was Kamigawa. So yeah, it stayed with me. And at some point, I was looking for for a name for myself. And Unreturned in 2004. Um, I was a teenager, so uh, the the lead speak was a must. Uh, I love this card, and also calling yourself a crack shot was also something that I kind of liked. So yeah, I stuck with the name, even though it's a childish back. But I mean, I love this card a lot. Yeah, I mean that's part of the thing about childhood, right? Like it may be embarrassing to be associated with it, maybe, but at the same time, like that's you know where nostalgia comes from, a big part of it. And so. it's you, like just embrace it. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people. <laughs> uh in our community feel the same way about things like we're, we're not ashamed of who we are right oh i don't think so i think a lot of people get into magic pretty young and then they just never leave some people quit and then come back uh, yeah but yeah and it's not really a children's card game yeah then that made me think of another card from uh, kamigawa that i was fascinated with i never owned the card but i saw it um on spoilers and yeah i, I, I was fascinated with fumiko the low blood and it's also from betrayals of kamigawa also a red rare for two red red it's a three two legendary human samurai and it's just a very interesting design because it's a aggressive defensive what is it even um <laughs> it has bushido x where x is the number of attacking creatures so that could be your creatures or your opponent opponent's creatures and it has the line creatures your opponent control attack each turn if able so this card it makes the opponent attack and then you can just block their creatures because they have a lot of creatures the, the bushido value gets quite high or if you would attack with it, they probably don't have any blockers. And even if they do, they probably won't be able to block this because it has such a high Bushido value. And I don't have much experience playing with it, but somehow this card fascinated me as, as a very young player. And I still think it's interesting. And I, they had it in, um, they reprinted it in some commander uh, sets. So I think there must be some power level there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that kind of mass effect, I mean, affecting each opponent too uh, in commander. Yeah, even just in something like Limited, it seems like the kind of card where you play it, you're going to take some damage maybe if you're not able to block everything your opponent has profitably, but probably also eating uh, at least one of their creatures thanks to that Bushido. It probably plays like that. You play it, the opponent has to attack, eat one, take some damage, then you would either start racing or you keep eating their creatures, whatever is more open for you. And I think it's always good. You still have choices, so I think it's... Yeah, it's a nice, interesting card. Then I have uh, a card that's um, maybe a little less interesting, but I just somehow always loved it in every form it was in, and it's just uh, Wishcoin Crab, or as I call it, Wincoin Crab, and it's uh, three and a blue for two, five vanilla creature. I love it. It just blocks so well, and the two power is just enough to, well, in quotation marks, finish the game out quickly. <laughs> Once you have full control of the board. I just like playing controlling decks and sometimes blues drafted heavily. I value this card higher than other people, so I often end up with quite a few of them. And they also just play nicely together. Just having two of them in play so nicely stalls out the board. And at some point, you will draw the removal spell for the opponent's creatures, and then you can start attacking. I just, I love the card. Yeah, uh, I'm actually not, I'm not super surprised to see a card like this on your list. If you remember, uh, on mine, I had Wild Saratok, which is definitely more of an attacking card, but also kind of gets wrecked by the crab. Um, <laughs> well, I think they just, they stare at each other for a while. They're... The crab is happy to stare. The, I mean, the Saratok, that's not what it's known for. Oh um, yeah, that's true though. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, why well, the Wishcoin Crab is so much better. Blue creatures. <laughs> can't beat them. 
was going to say, uh, in this last chaos season, I drafted a lot of four mana two fives and noticed a few things. Uh, one is I pretty reliably was able to pick them up late, which to me meant that other people were undervaluing the four mana two five body. Again, kind of going back to the Sarah talk, I think that people just don't like playing vanilla cards. They think that Cards need to have words on them to be good. And that's just not always the case. I mean, yeah, is it a recon? Maybe not. I mean, sorry. But <laughs> um, but it is like a totally serviceable card, right? It, it can attack. It doesn't have Defender. <laughs> and I have finished all games with it. And when that happens, it's so unexpected that it sticks with you. And that's why I coined that name for it. For sure. <laughs> Wisconsin, Wincon, it's all the same. Yeah. And then the next card is a card, well, again, with a lot of words. And um, I have very vivid memories um, of it being in um, my pre-release deck of Future Side. Or in multiple decks, it was actually um, one pre-release where there were midnight drafts. And then throughout the night, there were drafts. And then in the morning, there was sealed. And I don't know, I was very high on magic. And yeah, Nakatl Warpride is for three green, green, greens for six mana, a three, three cat warrior. And it must be blocked by exactly one creature if able. And when it attacks, put X tokens into play tapped and attacking that are copies of Nakatl Warpride, where X is the number of creatures defending player controls. Remove the tokens from the game at end of turn. So yeah, this card has a lot going on. And I feel like, especially at the midnight drafts, people were a little reluctant to read six mana, three, three creatures. So I think this thing was going a little bit later than it should have been. And it certainly has a lot of power level. So the way it plays out is, um, well, if they have removal, they kind of got you paid a lot of mana for something that's relative kill. But if they don't, then you are in the situation that you are often in with this. If it attacks, then they have to block it, whatever cards. But this is actually a little bit different because if they attack you, if you don't have good blocks, it means they will take three damage per attacking creature. That's a lot. And even if they don't attack you and you attack with a Nakatl Warp Ride, they will take at least three damage because you will create Nakatl Warp Rides equal to the number of creatures they have. So, and each one has to be blocked by exactly one. So there's no, uh, like all of them block one and the rest goes through. It will always happen the exact same way. You will deal them three plus three for each trap creature they control and all their creatures take the damage that were blocking. And all your other creatures get through. Awesome. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This card is completely insane. When you were talking about this card going later than it should, I was thinking, what, second pick? Like, No, uh, I, it was going like fifth pick or something like that. I mean, it's not easy to cast. And back in the day, you drafted the new set last. Right. So, yeah. Um, it's anyway. just a disgusting card. It reminds me a lot of Kessig Cage Breakers. Do you remember that one? Um, yeah, it's a 5 mana 3 4, right? And it yeah. creates 2 2 wolves for. For what number? Uh, the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Um, yeah, the Nakata War Pride. I mean, also you didn't mention like if you have a combat trick, like they block yeah. your three or a removal right? spell for the one that's on the original copy. Yep. Yeah, I mean the same thing. Um, if you're if you attack with this thing, you're probably winning the game, and especially if you get to attack multiple times. This is a card yeah. I'm actually not hoping to see in a maybe. Maybe we'll see it as like a mythic or something in a time I know. It can be as a rare, it's fine. It would show up from time to time. It's a six mana play. And if the opponent has removal, then you are looking dumb. They have to have the removal, but I think for a six mana card, I think that's okay. I think rare is reasonable ish. Yeah. Mythic, I think. They wouldn't, I don't think they would rare shift something. 
optimistic just because people would complain also yeah. and i like to see it from time to time but it's like a super strong card it can make games very one-sided but what i also remember is that i loved that i i was still a new magic player remember that it was not quite obvious to me but it was synergizing nicely with uh, my hurtnar which was not the greatest card in the set um so hurtnar is a four mana two two green creature and whenever another creature comes into play under your control it gets plus two plus two until end of turn which means that if you would take with a hurtnar and this nakatl warp ride the opponent is taking uh oh, five wow. damage plus um another two for each creature they control so i did basically always dead <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good way of putting it and yeah the, the hurt now was not one of the greatest cards in the set but together with it was really a nice combo man that sounds like fun. it was fun. yeah just stumbling across that during pre-release and feeling so smart about it i don't know i remember that vividly and that's why i got more privacy again i will say if uh you were vetoing sprout swarm uh in time spiral remastered which i think is super reasonable then i would like to veto the warp ride or at least have it as a rare and we can uh we can settle on having terramorphic expanse back in that format instead yeah okay yeah <laughs> sure I don't, I don't need it that much but i kind of love it anyway i could see it not being there for sure um because i think somehow even though it's a very strong card people don't think about it much so the next it, one is again a creature in my spell my spell book is just five creatures and a land so i don't know i'm maybe not a, not a great wizard but it's very know. different creatures anyway it's another green one it's good skewed mob for one green it's a one one it's a rare from uh original zendikar and at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control five or more lands, put four plus one plus one counters. And um, I loved that card when I saw it on the um, on the spoiler back in the day. And I was imagining the idea of how cool this would be as a um, finisher in a land gold, like draw go style control deck, almost mono blue. And uh, at some point where you have have the mana already, you just play the, this scoot mob for one mana and then it finishes out the game quickly. I th think ne nobody ever had much success with um, with doing that in Constructed, but somehow this thinking about it that way was so fascinating to me, um, thinking about it as a basically blue card um, that it kind of stuck with. I mean, maybe there would have been a space for it if there wasn't uh, Tarmogolf, which was just like a few sets earlier and basically doing the same thing, being less fragile while doing that. But I don't know. I like the cute mob. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice one. Um, it's like one of the really good reasons to be uh, in green in original Zendikar draft. Um, they basically reprinted it in red, like in stronger way. There's this Dragon Master Dragon or something like that. Yeah, Dragon Master Outcast or something. Yeah, I think so. That's the one that makes five fives if you have five or more lands. Oh, yeah. Now I, I was going to say like in original um, Zendikar, if you had like turn three or four like Harrow after the Scoot Mob, and then suddenly like, you know, triggering it a turn earlier is super nice. Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably a game you're winning. Um, it was for sure um, a limited bomb, like not in the way that it would stabilize you, but it's so cheap and hits so hard that it can't really uh, fall into that bomb category. Yeah, and this is even in the format where, like, you know, you don't really play one drops that attack for one. Like, this is a format where you play one drops that attack for two. <laughs> um, so the fact that this thing that turns into a huge threat later in the game was still good, I think, speaks volumes to its power level. Also, I yeah. wanted to go back to that comment about you uh, not being a very good wizard because it's five creatures in a land. I don't think that you know, <laughs> this, this says anything about like the cards that you think are best. You know, it's not like every person's no. signature spell book is like a black lotus and a soul ring, right? Like it's it's about 
you know, like your identity, you know, having a soft spot for the card. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with the modern design of most things revolving around the battlefield. And so creatures are the base for that. Therefore, I'm very happy with a lot of us here. They are just, they feel a little bit more uh, immersive to me than spells. I see that. But I mean, other people will can have very different opinions here. And I don't want to judge anyone for having only sorceries in their spell book. It's just <laughs> right. the way I feel about it. Okay, well, I think we covered all of our bases this time. Yeah, except that we should say that you have a video uh, on your YouTube where you talk about your signature spells. And um, if you are interested in mine and want to learn a little bit more about Max, you should for sure check that one out. And it's yeah. even more spells than I had. <laughs> yeah, I believed the original number was around eight, maybe nine. Um, so I just tried to do... <laughs> I was kind of running low by the end, but I tried to do a bunch. Uh, but yeah, my main reason for doing this is not because I want to tell people all about the cards that are special to me. It's because I think the really cool kind of exchange rate uh, of like memories of playing Magic. And I think that it's a good way to get to know like uh, people who you, you know, maybe you know them, but you don't know like what their experience is like with Magic. And like just from this list, you know, I can tell that um, you have a lot of fondness for like Time Spiral, right? Or even like Kamigawa, oh, yeah. right? Um, just so, where I started, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, uh, Wishcoin Crab is a newer card, so that's uh, <laughs> like summer from my starting to learn about magic. Then I think the, the Wishcoin Crab is here to show my uh, intensive playing of modern limited sets part. Uh, yeah, like Jacob was saying, if you uh, liked this, if you want to share uh, what cards are important to you, I'm sure we'd love to hear it. If you want to join the Discord, uh, you know, participate in some of our custom drafts, I think that'd be sweet. And yeah. also, we will be talking about the Spotlight Cube that will be coming up also in detail. We will be sharing our first impressions, our broken deck lists, or maybe our complete failures of deck lists. That I think most of, most of the time they are on, on, on those both ends, like the middle, right. of the middle of the pack decks often don't get shown, but the real train wrecks or the, the real amazing decks, they, they get talked about quite a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Even though we're not that big of a group, uh, a lot of people are very active and it's lovely. I'm really happy every time uh, someone talks about like that they're grateful to have this kind of place to discuss. Uh, <laughs> makes me feel like, wow, I started something that people are really uh, getting mileage out of. I'm happy about You for sure. sure did. Lovely that you all joined us. And we'll see you next time. And in the queues. Thanks for listening. Happy cubing. Happy cubing. Bye-bye.